Welcome to Screen Actors Guild, where we explore Oscar-winning actors and the embarrassing films they'd rather forget. I am your host, Michelle, the ape-kitten hybrid. Meow. And I'm Henry, the little beat man. Oh, my God. Um, I had a very visceral reaction to what just happened to me, and it wasn't even the first time that it's happened to me. I watched this movie once voluntarily, <laughs> like six years ago. That's that's extremely on brand. Yeah, it's like I kind of did it, and like the whole time I was, we'll talk about Marlon Brando in a second. I need to get this off my chest. I did it to myself once at a bad movie night with friends in which everyone else fell asleep except Jesse and I, and we were left with it just happening at us, and it was my fault, and then I picked it for this week, so I made it my fault twice. I mean, it's... It's a fitting movie for this podcast. Yeah. It is not a movie that I would suggest anybody watch. No. Uh, I don't think it goes... Well, we should... Okay. Well, yeah. Uh, this is our Marlon Brando episode. It is indeed. We're doing The Island of Dr. Moreau. And before we get into Mar- uh, fun things about Marlon Brando, I some of these movies I recommend to people to watch. Yeah. Because they're, they've got a fun quality. That's that's your Highlander 2s. Mm-hmm. That's, that's your... Uh, that's your Battlefield Earth. Definitely your Battlefield that's Earth. That's kind of your Sergeant Peppers. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, in my opinion, you're all about Steve, although I know we disagree on this one. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But this movie, uh, though, is... No, no, I can't believe you watched this twice. This was not a fun watch. Yeah, well, okay, so a thing happens to my brain where I have a general memory of something, but I forget every specific because it's a survival mechanism that I have mm-hmm. had to ne- like necessarily implement to live my life the way that I do. Um, But the other thing that happened is that when I watched this movie for the first time, Jesse was like so full body horror disgusted. And like when I talked about it later, he's like, literally don't even talk about that movie with me in the room. It is horrifying. (laughs) It makes me angry. It thinking about it and all of like the textures and all the themes, everything about it is disgusting to the point that I'm, I'm mad about it. And I think that I like, Mm -hmm. My mm-hmm. little kid personality dug its heels in and was like, ooh, it's not that bad, though. Because, <laughs> like, I forgot. And that's what happened this week. I picked a movie because I think I kind of wanted to make him frustrated. And I guess I wanted to make <laughs> me frustrated. He didn't even watch it with me. It was only going to affect me and you. I'm sorry a little bit, but kind of not. <laughs> yeah, this is a rough one. Uh, so Ugh, so yucky. Let's... Yeah, yeah, I, uh, uh, so let's talk about Marlon Brando, and then let's talk about this absolutely, like, disgusting corpuscle of a movie. Yeah. Uh, so Marlon Brando, he won, uh... Twice. Twice. He won for All in the Waterfront waterfront. and Godfather. He could have been a contender. Contender. He He was a contender, like, six other times. He got nominated eight different times and won twice, so, Mm -hmm. heavy hitter. Like, one of the greatest uh, actors of all time. Like, the actor's actor. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, director. I think, like, his performance in Streetcar Named Desire is, like, maybe the... Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, he, unlike a fine wine, did not age great. No, he... Uh, in... 
any way. He's one of those Acting people wise, that... Acting-wise, body-wise, certainly. Yeah, a lot of it just kind of melted. And this movie is a really good example of someone who stopped giving a fuck, but persevered anyway. Like, mm-hmm. continued to... Not persevered in the sense that his movie performances were great or his movie choices were great, but just continued to turn yeah. out content uh, despite the fact that the choices were very bad. Um, and... But, but you know, it's Marlon Brando. It's fucking Marlon Brando. It's amazing right. that he was in this movie because of who he is. Uh, so, Marlon Brando has a couple of trademarks. He has some that aren't worth reading. <laughs> They're like real trademarks. Yes. Uh, his first trademark is a really... Fu- it's not wrong, but the, the combination of words used to describe it. Bizarrely unique voice with an extreme nasal tonality spoken in mumbles. Yeah. It's not incorrect. No. It is a long way around the barn. It is. Uh, He said, yeah, bizarrely unique nasal mumble. Yeah, that's like a word association game. Yeah, it's like somebody keeps picking adjectives out of a hat to describe Marlon Brando. Uh, You could just kind of say his godfather persona is who he is as an actor. Because most of his acting career, that's very much what it is. Uh, and often improvised his own dialogue, which hmm. is not like it's it's That's an, kind of interesting. Interesting fact. It I becomes guess. more interesting in the context of a thing I learned further down in the trivia. Okay. A, a fun thing about like uh, the IMDb page, like contrasting the IMDb page for esteemed male actors with the IMDb page for, say, a Reese Witherspoon or a Kate Winslet, (laughs) is that most of the Merlin Brando IMDb page is, like, not funny so much as it is, like, paragraphs about individual movies that he was in. Okay. But there are a couple of choice bonbons about Merlin Brando. Did anyone describe Uh, him as curvy? (laughs) No. Because they could Uh, have. (laughs) Extremely. Extremely, extremely curved. Well, one curve, really. Yeah, one, uh, just one spherical very wide... arc. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> he's, a, he's a bulbous man toward the end there. Yes. Uh, so he used cue cards in many of his movies because he refused to memorize his lines. His uh, lines were written on the diaper of the baby Cal-El in Superman. Excuse me? <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Epic. That's such uh, a good. That's such a good trivia point. <laughs> it's. I mean, it's phenomenal. Uh, he worked as a department store elevator operator before he became famous. He quit after four days due to his embarrassment in having to call out the lingerie floor. This guy was in Last Tango in Paris. What? Like, this guy has had very messy, sweaty, like pretty real sex on screen. But <laughs> he, he quit had to his say elevator job because he wouldn't say lingerie. I also like the lengths to which IMDb will go to describe someone's earlier jobs, including, but not limited to, jobs they held for four days. For four (laughs) days. They go so deep in here. Uh, So Russell Crowe wrote and sang a song about him called, well, the first part of that is Russell Crowe wrote and sang a song. I guess he's he's got his like punk band or whatever, uh, called I Want to Be Marlon Brando. And Russell Crowe, I hate to break it to you, but my friend, you are on your way. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. It's funny. It's, 
have you heard the song? Did you look it up? We should look that up later. No, no, absolutely not. Yeah, maybe we should end. Uh, we I should have never heard. End the episode with it if I can track that bad boy down. After watching Russell Crowe ruin Les Miserables, yeah. which is not a good movie to start off, I you could not pay me to listen to fucking Russell Crowe like gargle rocks and pretend it's singing. Oh yeah, uh, the way I had to suffer through for that fucking movie. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Maybe he sings it as Jean Valjean, and maybe that's maybe he does a cool French accent version of his Marlon Brando song. Wouldn't that yeah, be a I treat? Yeah, I mean, why, for the why wouldn't he? That seems totally right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a good boy. Um, yeah, how are these the Marlon Brando facts? They're about other people. Oh yeah, I mean there there are a lot of Marlon Brando facts yeah. that are about people naming song like people referencing him in songs. There's like eight <laughs> discrete Marlon Brando facts that are like this mus- musician you've never heard of had his, his name in a song. Right. Uh, it's not it's not like interesting exactly. no, no. Uh, so an important thing to know here michelle is that he supported john f kennedy in the 1960 presidential election great uh which is fine yeah no uh, it, that needs to be top of the list i would need to know that <laughs> in addition to his extremely unusual raspy voice Mm -hmm. Uh, He was an avid user of the internet in his final years. No. (laughs) (laughs) Often going into chat rooms to start arguments. That second half is like genuinely kind of funny. That's really funny. I mean, that's just like old man behavior in general. But dude was in his upper 70s. He died at 80. So he was a good dude in his upper 70s entering chat rooms in what would have this been? Like the late 90s? He died in 04. So like, yeah, late 90s, early 2000s. Peak chat room time. And just giving it to him on the old World Wide Web, surfing the net. He also apparently, I'm not, not reading this verbatim, but he apparently used to like do a lot of ham radio and would like mimic people's accents on it, yeah. which is like real shock jock behavior. <laughs> yeah, that uh, really But like really is. low grade shock jock. <laughs> like, ju- like just performing for your puppets, like for your stuffed animals sort of shock jock <laughs> behavior. That's really funny. What a character, man. Uh, so he was originally cast in John Wayne's role as Genghis Khan in The Conqueror, but backed out at the last minute. One of the things I love about that is that Genghis Khan was played by John Wayne Ugh, in a movie. I know. Uh, it's, which is, like, it's unpleasant for like a bunch of reasons. But, <laughs> I mean, like, the yellow... Obviously, the yellow face is unforgivable. But also, like, the, the downgrade if you, from Marlon Brando to John Wayne just in terms of raw ability, is like... I mean, it's switching from filet mignon to a Twinkie. Yeah, it's really... In terms of range, you either get, um, yeah, one of the most sought-after actors with with the best accolades and quite a considerable range to a guy who can read his lines in one voice and one voice Mm -hmm. ever, just basically Mm -hmm. barreling the camera. Right. It's like thick Matthew McConaughey without the charisma uh-huh. or range. Yeah. Uh, so this so this one's going to be about his death. So it's like inherently not super fun, yeah. but it is kind of wild. Yeah. Uh, he died in 2004 at age 80 from... Respiratory failure. Obesity, pulmonary, pulmonary fibrosis, diabetes, cardiac failure, and an enlarged liver. <laughs> 
which is to say that God came at him from every fucking direction. Just just trying to... It's like, it's like a medical Rasputin context. Like, that's him just carrying every imaginable disease. Well, the thing about that, too, is that earlier I got curious how he died. And if you look on a different website, it'll just tell you respiratory failure as, like, the ultimate cause of death. Like, sure, fine. That's what, like... An, a coroner would tell you but this person who wrote these words down felt the need to be like and another thing he was <laughs> fat <laughs> it's like hey we know the world is aware the 80 year olds with obesity uh not long for this world my friend but <laughs> he was he's a hefty boy it's a laundry list uh Michelle, did you know that he used to imitate the sounds made by various animals from nearby fields during his childhood? Is he a mockingbird with his little he ham radio? He might be radio? a mockingbird, like a parrot. <laughs> this guy, this guy loves to he, imitate noises. He described himself as having a solitary childhood. I mean, he would have yeah, to. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Just me and my puppets spending hours <laughs> at the radio. <laughs> Throughout my entire life. So, one of the the final trivia sections. Oh, I'll, I'll say one more thing. There's, uh, there are, I shit you not, six different trivia items that give the exact same fact that he refused to give autographs, and so his autograph was worth a lot of money. Okay. Like, this just keeps recurring from the top to the bottom. Like, people just, like, they maybe sort of heard it in the back of their mind. It's like, I... I feel like I heard this somewhere. It's because you just read it, my friend. <laughs> it's like that thing that we always talk about where someone writes something like in a movie and then within the same scene forgot that they wrote mm-hmm. that down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, like, it's there for you. The information is right there for you. Uh, <laughs> so the, the uh, third to last important piece of trivia about Marlon Brando is that the actor embraced the lifestyle of being a free spirit during his time in New York during the late 1940s. Okay. Which is, um, I'll be honest, not trivia at all. <laughs> it's its like, it's sort of a freeform jazz way to talk about a person. Yeah. I mean, I guess you have to find a creative way to say that someone did a bunch of drugs in the 40s. Because, yeah. like, the yeah. 40s... No one was a fucking free spirit in the 40s. That phrase did not exist, and that person no. did not exist. It was just, I mean, if you, do you or do you not smoke jazz cigarettes in clubs? Yeah, if you got a hold of a reefer cigarette. <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. That's really funny. Uh, it couldn't be that much of a free spirit. He was afraid to say laundry on an elevator. <laughs> How did that story come out? I mean, he offered it up. Clearly, no one else would know this that about him. This has to be a biography him. thing. Yeah, it has to be an autobiography He thing. did like a, a series of long audio recordings toward the end of his life where he just kind of laid it all out there. I think for a documentary or maybe just for, yeah, posterity's sake, but that probably made its way in. It's just... There was, there was one last thing. So I guess he was in a movie that Frank Oz directed. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was in The, the Score. Okay. Uh, so while filming the score, he refused to be on set at the same time as director Frank Oz, referring to the former Muppets director as Miss Piggy, which is like so, so such a petty, grade school bully move. bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, he sounded pretty petty um, in a lot of mm-hmm. ways. He was a true diva in his yes. career. This is known. Hardcore. I'm very much so on this movie, which we will get into. I have a lot of notes. Very few of them are about the movie I watched. Most of them are about the making of the movie I watched. Because oh, there's just yeah. so Absolutely. much crazy bullshit. There had to be. This movie's a fucking train wreck. All right, so let's jump yep, in. So let's get into uh, it. This disgusting movie is uh, based on the H.G. Wells novel, The Island of Dr. Moreau, mm-hmm. a 1996 joint um, that <clears throat> got itself laughed out of Hollywood. Didn't do that bad at the box office. I think U.S. it was like $30 million and oh, yeah. it cost $40 million. Big budget movie. It Wow. Made, I think, about $30 million initially, but it made back, like, it ha- ultimately made $50 million worldwide. So, like, it did make its money back, but it didn't matter because New Line Cinema took such heat after this fucking dump of a movie came out. How much do you feel like its ability to regain its profit is based solely on the pervert market? Oh, like, God. Yeah, right? Yeah, like, this movie... It has, it's not similar to Cool World, but I had some similar feelings about it to Cool World. It is not a horny movie, but it is like a a sort of visual train wreck in the same way that Cool World is. Yeah, I had a really visceral reaction to it, and it does that thing that movies from the late 80s, mid to late 80s into mid 90s does, where it's a lot of like prosthesis and a lot mm-hmm. of like animatronic stuff, and everything has the appearance of being very wet for no reason. <laughs> very slick and greasy. Things are greasy. Things got a good old Vaseline sheen on them before the <laughs> before the cameras are fired up. Just got to make sure I, everything pops on screen. I feel like this movie was part of the inspiration for Hollywood to move away from practical effects. Yeah, oh God, like, like yeah. We, <laughs> like, we have to be able to do better than this, my friends. Yeah. Does, does anybody have a computer image of like a bouncing lamp we could use instead of this? Uh, this, this is this is gross. We have to stop. So uh, gross. So the plot of this movie, mm-hmm. uh, if one is not familiar, uh, David Thewlis, uh, beloved British actor David Thewlis, bringing a real Cumberbatch energy. Yeah, yeah, yes. Watch washes up. Uh, he's been in a downed plane or whatever. He gets rescued by Val Kilmer, uh, chewing the scenery like he's never done before or since, uh, <laughs> and taken to an island run by Marlon Brando in a series of escalatingly crazy hats, <laughs> uh, where Marlon Brando uh, creates disgusting humanimal. Uh, demon children yeah. uh, that eventually rise up against him, slaughter him, and just like kill a bunch of people. Light it all on fire, bring it down to the ground. Light it all on fire, it gets real bayham. Yeah. Uh, so the, the movie brings the visually unpleasant heat from the absolute very beginning. Like the intro sequence oh, of this movie. Yeah, but it's long as is, fuck. It's so long. It's so long. It's so repetitive. Yeah, it has like so, a bunch of it has '90s like rock music playing in the background, just like da 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 da. While like mm-hmm. these terrible graphic credits come on screen for like several minutes. Yeah, it's a bunch of different animal eyes interspersed with microscopic organisms dividing, pumping into each other, 
sometimes like fighting like there's like two fleas fighting <laughs> yeah. uh, a video camera running through grass at night yeah. and white serif text shattering and falling all over the screen at like a nauseatingly break te- breakneck pace over and yeah. over and over again the exact same sequence ad nauseum as you get through like the third key grip like the producer's second cousin's son yeah you're when you've got a movie where the lead actor is marlon brando and then the second actor is val kilmer who for the mid 90s was like a big star like batman batman forever top gun and then this movie so he's like you've got these two heavy hitting stars and then you have everybody else and this movie made the interesting decision to focus equally on all of it right from the start (laughs) spare no name yeah it has the real feel of somebody who's like learning uh some basic editing software and they found the one effect that like explodes the text makes it shatter like glass and they were just like Mm -hmm. oh badass badass this one over and over Use it again. Can we use it during the movie itself? No, Jacob. Yeah. Well, can I can I just use it a lot at the beginning? <laughs> sure, sure, Jacob. I should have never let your mother bring you in today. Uh, yeah. So the 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 biggest heat that this movie brings outside of the hair and makeup is the costuming, and you get that so early. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So. David Thewlis is like, uh, he's, his plane has gone down. He, there's a shark attack that he survives in his little, uh, D- uh, little dinghy. boat, little raft. Yeah. And then Val Kilmer picks him up. And Val Kilmer, when you first see him, is wearing a Walkman, a safari vest, glasses on a librarian string, yeah. and a blue armband inexplicably over his elbow. Why? Uh, and that's just like, he's just sort of walking, you know, moving all over the place. Yeah. Uh, he tricks David Thewlis to come on to Moreau's Island by suggesting the, like, Indonesian ship's captain is gay. Yeah, he basically uh, says, you can stay on the boat if you want, but they party pretty hard, and that one over there has his eye on you. Yeah, you're getting fucked on this boat, buddy, ha- so come on to our, gonna get party our horny animal on this island. Boat. Uh, Such a better outcome, though. Like, how much does he wish he was just having, like, I don't know, like, fun sex with a stranger instead of everything else? Right, get some strange, Thulis. I mean, explore your sexual proclivities, sir. Yeah, I mean, God, even if not, like, you... I think Thulis, by the end of this movie, given the chance to trade, would trade back, right? Oh, absolutely. Uh, Every time he would pick that every time. The number of dicks he would take... Yes. ...to get off of this island... Is high, um, and I, I'm with him. Oh, yeah. A, a veritable cornucopia of dicks uh-huh. in order to a, get out of the situation he's found himself in. Yeah, so uh, so Kilmer brings him onto the island, and the, the very like the very first thing they do on the island is they deliver a bunch of bunnies mm-hmm. in a crate strapped to the front of their Jeep, which on its own is weird. <laughs> yeah, that was weird. And, uh, and Kilmer dumps this crate of bunnies into a kennel and he takes one out as David Thewlis is telling this uh, like wistful story about his childhood rabbit and Kilmer raises up this rabbit to David Thewlis to give a little kiss on the head Mm -hmm. Uh, and David Thewlis gives a little kiss on the head and then Val Kilmer immediately murders it. Yeah. Uh, 
And <laughs> and that like that's all you need to I feel know like it's a pretty good character. intro to this to this character the whole movie really. Yeah, yeah. That's all you that's that is how he is for the rest of this movie. And I kind of feel like that is how Val Kilmer was on the set of this movie cuz he was apparently oh, really? fucking terror. Yeah, everyone hated him. <clears throat> it was a whole situation. Bring 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 the heat. Okay. So originally uh, the person who created this movie, the person who wrote the script, did all of the, the money raising, basically developed the project for four whole years is a man named Richard Stanley. Um, he was fired after four days okay. because Marlon Brando and Val Kilmer uh, had egos that could not be stopped. And Val Kilmer was apparently like swaggering through every scene like he did as his role at Iceman in Top Gun, just absolutely <laughs> abusing everyone, including <laughs> apparently putting out his cigarette on Richard Stanley's arm. Just like as, what? as a small example of where he was what? at. Yeah. Abs- no fucking way. Absolutely. What? That's psychotic. He, um, and so anyway, like Richard Stanley gets fired. They bring in a new director who apparently is much better with dealing with uh, like big egos and problematic actor types, John Frankenheimer. And then John Frankenheimer's whole job becomes just wrangling these two men and convincing them to come out of their trailers because starting in the morning, they would both stay in their trailers and wouldn't leave until the other one did. And it was like an arms race of, or just like a standoff to see who could be the bigger diva and predicting that Brando won every single time. But um, he had a lot more practice. Yeah. He was like so terrible to work with that there's a couple of things that uh, John Frankenheimer finally, let's see, he said after his last scene filming with Val Kilmer, all right, cut, now get this bastard off my set. (laughs) (laughs) And then uh, talking about the project later, said that even if he was directing a movie called The Life of Val Kilmer, he would never hire that actor again in his life. (laughs) So he made an impression. (laughs) Honestly, that comes across. Like, Val Kilmer seems... Like a more than just a regular actor level of unhinged in this movie. Yeah, he doesn't seem to be tethered to a script, a character choice, uh, the plot of the movie. He is all over the place. Oh yeah, Uh, it's a real. It just it just gets crazier and crazier. Uh, Yeah, by the end, it feels like he's just ad libbing his scenes. Yeah, like no, he time. is bringing some of the weirdest energy I have seen brought to a movie yeah. in this movie. That uh, seems also like particularly mean to Marlon Brando. I know, <laughs> which is a fun set of choices. Yeah, uh, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Yes, yes. So, uh, so David Thewlis is on the island. He's very grateful. It's getting kind of weird. Uh, he's uh, he's sort of happened upon uh, Feruza Balk. Who's like sexy dancing by herself, mm-hmm. and he like sits and creep watches her for a while, and then he gets uh, locked into a room for his own good. Well, first he talks to her, oh, yes, and please. she he scares her, and then he says, "No, no, it's okay. I'm new on the island. You know how you do when you uh-huh. creep up on a woman from behind, and she understandably screams out in terror. Um, right. But then the next thing that happens in that scene." is that she is extremely drawn to him, and she says, you have such beautiful hands. 
And then oh, she right. grabs his hands and touches his hand to her face and hands uh, while hiding her own hands under a little sarong. Yeah. yeah and then, the oh, and then I don't know what this means, even looking back on the movie, but all of a sudden, uh, David, what's it, what, Thule? Is that it? Thulis. Th- Thulis. Uh, looks over and behind him, so Feruza Balk gets like a stricken look on her face and he follows her gaze to right behind him where Val Kilmer is just sitting there with a big purple flower in his mouth and oh, right. she just runs away in fear and that's the end of the scene. Yeah. And yeah. Does that, yeah. now that we've watched the whole movie, can you figure out what was going on with the flower in the mouth? Or is that just no. bat- batshit crazy nonsense? I think that's just a bunch, like this movie is an aggregation of Kilmer choices that are completely yeah. inscrutable and inexplicable. Yeah. Like there's, there's very few acting choices that track uh, any any like linear understanding of how human interactions are supposed to work. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, Kilmer takes him to his room, locks him in his room. Then when he gets outside, opens the Venetian blinds, says very quickly, this is for your own good, and runs away. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Thulis, I guess, knows how to pick locks. Uh, Yeah. Just not, I mean, there's no reason he should know that, but he does. And he breaks out Mm -hmm. of his room, and he wanders into a room with animals and cells, where... You're introduced to the first of many abominations oh, that you're going to be forced to watch. One of the worst so, parts of the movie. Oh, it has to, it, absolutely. So there's a there's a woman horse who looks a lot like the uh, the horse people hybrids from Sorry to Bother You, <laughs> but with like huge breasts, but also animal nipples further down. Like she has regular. I'm not gonna say regular. More regular human <laughs> breasts. Yeah. You're getting, like, then, like, deep side boob as you enter the scene. All you see is, like, a creature on its back that looks kind of humanoid with big boobs. And then, I think, hooves. And the thing is giving birth. And then they pull back, like, the, you know, operating room blanket. And underneath the sheet, there's, like, a series of many more nipples. And everything is shiny and hairy. Yeah, and she's on oxygen, which is kind of weird. I mean, yeah. maybe this is a hard thing for these human animals to give birth. Uh, and she gives birth to what looks like a bloody jaguar baby. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of gene mixing going on here. Mm-hmm. So Thulus understandably runs. And he's immediately greeted by, like, little monkey children in tuxedos. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then is chased by what can only be described as Geico cavemen. Yeah. Uh, oh, big time. Big time. Geico and- caveman vibes. And continues to meet more of these abominations, which I have just like a list. Uh, yeah. Eventually, I ran out of room and energy to like catalog all the abominations. Because mm-hmm, they but cram the a lot things, of them in one scene, and then it becomes impossible. The things that they created for this movie. Ugh. I So, I, I, I want to step out from the narrative for a second and ask you, like, would it have been possible to succeed in making this movie? Or was it like a, an impossible like <laughs> white whale yeah. of a mission from the very beginning? I was thinking about that because it does seem very doomed to fail in the way that, in a way that movies like Planet of the Apes are not. You know, like you can ha- get yeah. your head around a single 
humans animal hybrid and make that palatable enough to stare at on screen for more than a second without wanting to die but i really i mean the whole point of the book and then the movie adapted from the book is that it's it's like a full horror show it's supposed to be disgusting but it's also super dark and not no part of it is meant to be whimsical nor is it it's a hard as as I can tell, meant, meant to be like horror exactly like it has almost aspirations of like drama and action film yeah i think this movie would be better served as a straight like horror sci-fi type situation but yeah they kind of set their sights on a little bit more of like an across the board pg-13 rating movie that maybe the family could watch because why else give it a pg-13 rating given it yeah content? that's true like that's true seems like they wanted a broad audience and this does the, not the gross out teenage audience. boy audience yeah i don't think there's a way you can make this okay yeah i think it was a bad idea from the jump yeah. right like you can't make a movie about abominations trying to understand themselves without making abominations that you're supposed to try to sympathize with but that are like too gross to watch on screen. It's like, yeah. it's not good for a visual medium. You do this as a radio play. You do this as like yeah. fucking Night Vale. You cannot do this when people have to watch it the whole time. Yeah, because like the only way you can make this not horrifying is if maybe you did like a CGI cartoon version that was a little bit more <laughs> like silly, but then the fucking plot isn't silly. The plot's terrifying, so no part of it works. Terrifying and sad. So let's just... Because we are in an auditory medium, let's just describe some of these abominations. Yeah. So, so we've gotten the big-breasted horsewoman. Uh, yep. The next one you meet is uh, like a bean-toothed panther man. Uh, <laughs> the bean-toothed part. Yeah, a uh, skinny bean-toothed panther man, right? The white one uh, that's all wiry and greasy. No, this is a different oh, okay. one. This is a different one. The Bean Tooth Panther Man is the dreadlocked one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah, he's delivering the baby. Yes. Uh, there is a little wolf boy in a tuxedo who looks kind of like if Teen Wolf were a fifth grader. Uh-huh. Uh, there's... That one's not that bad. That one's not that bad. That's, I think, one of the more approachable of the abominations. The ones that they chose to put in human clothes and have dressed up in, like, indoors, indoor scenes, are the ones yeah. that seem to be, like, a little more palatable. They're, like, a little bit it's... of an ape or a cat vibe mixed with it. Not all. Mm, not all of them. Not oh, all of them. Mm-mm. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. That, we'll get we'll get to the worst one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you don't meet him yet. You, you then, along with the wolf boy, you meet... This, like, kind of inscrutable, long-haired creation that I I can only describe as Jesse Eisenberg playing a Klingon. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like, it's... Yeah, it's got real Klingon Yeah, vibes. he does. He does. Uh, and then, yeah, there's the Geico Caveman mm-hmm. in white tie tuxedos. There's, like, a number of them, which is wild. Yeah. Uh, and you start meeting the more, like, the... More the field humanimals. Because you've got like you met the house humanimals, yep. and now you're getting the field mm-hmm. humanimals. Which like starts with this big, rangy cat man that looks like you took a regular man, and then you rolled him in paste, and then on a barbershop floor. Yes. Uh, a barbershop floor that caters exclusively to octogenarians. It's mm-hmm. it's a, mm-hmm. he's like he's got a greasy, fleshy body that's just sparsely covered in white hair. And then... Uh, 
very feline like tight little tiny face on his head like mm-hmm. is that a good way to describe he's like small oh, yeah. and wiry I mean, and he's you first encounter him eating one of the rabbits that val kilmer has right. set loose let's be clear there's no good way to describe any no of this. there's just... <laughs> you've you've done this accurately for sure <laughs> but there's no way to make this okay he's like a cute, a cute cat who's tall and skinny <laughs> uh and like just really moisturized um and but balding with a tight face because he's kept it real tight yeah and yeah. You get this like <laughs> sad bored looking long-faced monkey man mm-hmm. that kind of looks like John Candy's barf from Spaceballs, yeah. but skinny. Yeah, yeah, like someone uh, pulled the tube and he just deflated him enough that he can amble around a little bit easier. Yeah, and then you've got like, uh, what uh, looks like you put a baboon nose on an English wolfhound and then like asked him to star in The Hunchback of Notre Dame, and it's like maybe got some Dustin Hoffman vibes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got a blind goat man with a staff. Uh, Ron Perlman. With... Oh, man. Is that Ron Perlman? Okay. It's not only is it Ron Perlman, but Ron Perlman acted exclusively method acted this whole thing. So he... No fucking way. Nope. Nope. No way. Yep. Absolutely not. He did. So he had lenses, contact lenses put on over his eyes that made it impossible for him to see well. Oh, my God. So he was just blind acting this entire movie. A choice that nobody wow. needed. Because he's not in it enough for his acting to even be important. He's covered in two pounds of prosthetics. Like, I mean, I guess hats off that he cared more about the integrity of this movie than anybody running it. But, like, dude. Yeah, wow. I know. Um, I will say, though, that that character looks the most like the man who is playing him. Yes, and also one of the more lookatable of the character. Ron Perlman is a little bit of an animalistic looking man. I was surprised they didn't go yes. with something more feline because he's got lion-like qualities, but still he... The, yeah, that's true. The The transition from Ron Perlman to animal person is smoother than most. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a closer walk. Yeah. Uh, and then you get the best of the creations, which is this tiny man with a corpuscular head and this like withered dark purple face with cross eyes and a teeny tiny nose oh my god and and this is like a oh no he doesn't have a teeny tiny nose he has an enormous nose on a tiny head he has a beak nose that's right he's so little he's uh he's two feet four inches yes he was the smallest man alive at the Mm -hmm. time uh and i guess his trivia is the smallest man alive and also the world's shortest actor, which feels... I mean, unnecessary. Uh, at, like, completely redundant. He was <laughs> the smallest man alive, but there is a shorter actor. Yeah. Now, IMDb, that's, that cannot <laughs> that's be true. That's how that works. Yeah, I had to look up what he really looked like, because he's a fairly... For being a very, very small man, he's a fairly normal-looking man, uh, given his tiny stature, to, but he know. looks like a person who has had his head turned inside out yeah it's a bad look and they shouldn't have done it uh no they turned him into essentially just like a creature demon and it they didn't do anyone else this dirty 
They picked the no. tiniest person and they just made him. Like, can we can we gross you up as much as possible? Like, they really make you question if it's a real guy for a second. Get- I I thought it was probably like a practical puppet. Yeah. For a lot of the right? time. I know. Um, also, it should be noted that this man uh, was appearing in every scene in an identical outfit to the outfit that Marlon Brando was wearing in any given scene. He is the OG mini-me. Yeah, I mean, you have some, like, real Dr. Evil mini-me parallels. They both play pianos together. Yeah, he gives him a tiny piano. Like, you, you know that there is some nod to this, right? Like, I mean, everyone saw this terrible movie, or at least knew about it. Because it was Marlon Brando. Otherwise, it would have been swept under the rug. But Mike Myers must have been aware of this, right? And reference had, had, had to, to be. be. Had to be. Tiny piano. Identical outfit mini-me. The, yeah, I mean, I, while it is difficult to watch this little Beatman character, he does bring some of the most enjoyable moments of the movie. Yeah. Uh, so there's like a moment where... Uh, David Thewlis is uh, he's like interrogating Marlon Brando at dinner about like what the fuck are you doing with these experiments yeah. and the and the beat son is just randomly picking his foot and Brando has to tell him to stop <laughs> and it's like a totally unnecessary moment in the scene in the movie it feels like an improvised moment mm-hmm. and I liked it more than almost anything else in this yeah. movie yeah I like that there are little moments like that. That really had to have been improv also. Like, you just know that had they were. Be. Yeah, that I that little guy. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's really like he's just whole face is beet red and he has like vulture skin. Like, you know how they have like the crazy, creepy heads. It's like that, but yeah. like huge. It's so unkind and it's very really difficult so to look at. And, what, and like the rest of them look like animals. Yeah. This one, they just like, we're going to gross you up, little man. Like, he's not. Yeah. As far as I can tell, he is a hybrid with a a beat. Yeah. With a a tuber. He's hybrid with like um, like a a brain that walks around and thinks on its own or something. Oh, like Krang. Yeah. He's like Uh, like baby Krang. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's like a hybrid with like a, uh, if you like left a stretch Armstrong in the sun for way yeah, too long, yeah, yeah, exactly, and the ooze kind of oozes out a little bit mm-hmm, mm-hmm. when he doesn't stretch no mo. Uh, I'll be honest, David Thewlis is very rude to the abominations for uh, the like first half. He of this is. Movie. He doesn't really hold back just being a dick. Like the the guy, the little guy. I don't know his name in the movie. He goes to shake his hand, and he couldn't op- more obviously be going to shake his hand, and he just stares at him in disgust, and he's constantly putting his hand over his face because apparently the smell or just the sight of it is leaving his mouth agape, but he's really rude. He's And he talks about how they shouldn't exist to, to their, their he, face. He like looks them in the eye and says, what about these horrible, unnecessary disfigurements? Like, I... My dude... I'm I'm with you in the abstract, but there's a time and a place, yeah. and it's not in front of the abominations, David Thewlis. That's very rude. Didn't your mother raise you better? I know. Yeah, who's the animal now? Uh, so there's there's two things I want to talk about uh, that have happened like at the uh, human animal camp. Yeah. The first is that it's a silly thing, but uh. So they have a working elevator, 
but they don't have uh, electrical lights. Uh, they, he takes an elevator down to a room that is lit exclusively by torch fire. Yeah. Which is like, you didn't have to do it this way. I don't know if that's a, an artistic decision. That's like Marlon Brando sucks in this movie. So they like, yeah. he gave them one thing, but not the other thing. But that's just, that's, mm-hmm. you have a working elevator. Yeah. And it doesn't all have to look like the set of Raiders of the Lost Ark, but it does. Uh, the second is Marlon Brando's entrance. Yeah. Which is I... really an excuse to talk about everything that he's wearing in this okay, movie. Okay. So many of the choices were his own. Which makes this... Oh, were they? So much of what happens in this movie is he had an incredible amount of agency. Uh, what's his name? The the actor who... Or the director who took over, John Frankenheimer, was talking about, in a fairly recent interview, talking about the experience of making this movie. And the schedule was something like, 9 o'clock, Brando shows up on set, disappears into his trailer, stays there for several hours, doesn't want to come out, John Frankenheimer goes in to discuss the movie with uh, Marlon Brando. Brando gives him lots of notes, goes to lunch. They come back. They do a rewrite that day based on the notes that Brando provided, meaning that every single day that all those actors showed up on set, got put in all that makeup, which takes just hours, and showed up probably on time. I'm guessing, like, call time was, like, 8 a.m. Everybody's just stuck there till the middle of the afternoon until he feels like he's developed the script enough for the day. And Covered, covered in grease-painted prosthesis on a tropical island. Yeah, yeah. Like, on set in a real hot place, head-to-toe in crazy makeup. And apparently there was so much downtime that all the actors, like the extras, were just hanging out getting drunk and smoking weed because there's nothing else to do <laughs> playing chess. That also explains some of the vibe of this movie. Yeah, and no one had anything to do because they were all just on their own, and Brando was making so many notes. So, <clears throat> real quick, I'll go over a couple of the ones that did make the cut. The mm. white makeup that he wears at the beginning of the movie was his idea. So the first time you see him, I'm going to let you describe what that whole visage is so he's to set the scene he's being carried in like a giant on a giant platform on a throne Mm -hmm. that's surrounded by mosquito net and then he is also wearing a mosquito net uh with a veiled hat like Like a a beekeeper bride almost a beekeeper's hat yeah uh with this like uh what's the white face paint that people put over their nose like zinc yeah just like the face is just like covered in zinc uh it's he's got a bram stoker's dracula situation when it comes oh yeah um with red 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 lips and and let's not forget what? marlon brando is a lipid man that man mm-hmm. is almost exclusively doing lip acting in this movie <laughs> and it's, it's so it's underscored by the fact that those lips are popping off in that scene it is not not so, good so i <laughs> uh i thought you were saying he's a lipid l-i-p-i-d man which is also, <laughs> also true, true. Oh, such a good pull. Oh, man. It's both every time. Uh, Yeah. White makeup, beekeeper outfit, big aviator shades, creepy white, all white outfit. Um, 
Yeah, being raised up on whatever those things are called, where you like, it, you, where you carry around royalty. Yeah, they're like the Cleopatra platform. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's one of of like several wild costume choices. Ugh. He also wears a mosquito net do rag. <laughs> yeah, he and does. his little guy, his little beat man, has a matching mosquito net do rag. When he's wearing that mosquito net do rag, he also has this like, it, it appears it's like a neck sock. That's made out of, yeah. <laughs> out of like white mesh <laughs> that covers from like the bottom of his chin down to his chest, and it's just this like form fitting white tube. The choice is astounding. It is quite the yeah, it's choice. Like a, it's like a gator. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's he so also tight. wears a sushi chef headband in one scene, uh-huh. uh, which is like one of the more <laughs> nuanced costume choices. Yep. And then the second to last scene we get with him <laughs> he's wearing what i can only describe as a small upturned steel drum as a hat With an ice bucket turned upside down on an his ice head. bucket turned upside down but it does look yeah. like it looks like a trash can or a little tiny steel drum or like but like wrapped in kente cloth yeah. like it's such a wild costuming yeah choice. yeah like like a collapsible fez that's very very big, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, like a really wide telescope. Yeah, you know what? That's what it is. It's like a telescopic, huge metal hat uh, with yeah, with like what looks like a kente cloth, and it's about a foot tall. That that he's having his assistant pour ice into, or his daughter pour ice into the top of because it's so hot that he needs to cool off his head. I I love in that scene too. That uh, so he has Faruza Balk uh, pour ice into his steel drum hat, and then uh, she like starts criticizing her looks and yells at him, "I want to be like you." And Brando, to his credit, yeah. says basically, "Nobody wants to look like me, lady." <laughs> uh, and she's like, "You're right." And she laughs. "You're disgusting." <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the the bucket on the head was his idea. Um, what? <laughs> yeah, you're gonna love what comes next, though. Not only Please. was the bucket on his head his idea, he was hoping, and this didn't make it into the movie, that in every scene he's wearing an extraordinarily large hat, and at the end mm. of the movie, he takes the hat off to reveal that he is a dolphin. And has been <laughs> a dolphin the whole movie. And the reason that they were pouring ice into the bucket was because that is how he needs to breathe. What? <laughs> <laughs> is there a deleted scene? I need it. I need it so bad. Was it going to be like with a fin? Was it just a blowhole? I think it was going to be it- a big like dolphin like a big bulbous dolphin head somehow and then a blowhole on top oh my god (laughs) what so like given the choices in this movie though how do they walk that one back like i would to be a fly on the wall during that conversation where someone who's in charge of saying no to Marlon Brando has to do it and they have to do it while he's earnestly saying those words at a human person. That you need to send him like a trained hostage negotiator. (laughs) Like that is to be that far gone that you are convinced that the way the big reveal should be that you have a blowhole is 
is... He has nostrils! Oh my god. He has nostrils. It's got a regular human He's face. How does that even work? Um, oh, the mini-me was his idea. He he definitely... The mini-me and the identically dressed mini-me. That was his call as well. So we can thank so, him for that. On that one, I'm totally I'm on down. Rando. I'm down. It's his inspired wild choice. idea has definitely paid off a couple times. Uh... What did you think of this? Uh, well, actually, before we move off of hats, there is a, a Val Kilmer-related hat thing that I want to uh, point out, which is that at one point, uh, Val Kilmer walks into a room yeah. uh, wearing a wide-brimmed hat, and he takes off the wide-brimmed hat, and he has a baseball hat underneath <laughs> it. <laughs> I forgot about that. It's <laughs> just like, man, were there no rules on this set? Was everybody just doing whatever the fuck they wanted? Like, it's oh. the last run of your goddamn sketch comedy show, and you're just pulling out all the stops? Well, the thing is, every time you see a choice like that, it's because a crazier choice didn't happen. There is a version of this draft of this script where a bunch of the creatures on the island got together and formed a baseball team. What? No way. There is going to be a baseball moment. Like, I think there's going to be a a beast on beast game. Uh, I wonder if they cut it for time or content. (laughs) I I honestly resent it for cutting. Me too. How whimsical. That would have been the one time that that these creatures could have been fun to watch on screen. That this movie made any decisions to pull back? Really shows how much it misunderstood itself as a movie. <laughs> I know, I know, right? Like, if you're gonna go to town, go to creepy, fun Lincoln. Yeah. Don't. Yeah. Don't hold back. I know. Uh, there's also, man, Val Kilmer, like, the outfit where he's just covered in beads, like it's Mardi Gras. Yeah. Uh, and that he uh, kisses a. Bus, buxom pig lady on the mouth? More than one. There's like a series of buxom mm-hmm. <laughs> bees costumes. Really read like scraping the bottom of the barrel <laughs> in the costume department and they're just like, fuck, what else we got? Because they're wearing <laughs> long hula skirts, uh, button-up Hawaiian shirts, and then they have big creature breasts bulging out of them and, they're, mm-hmm. and, and piggish faces... With some kind of wig on, uh, and he kisses them, kisses them for like a little while, like long, yeah, pretty sexual, long kisses on the mouth, not like a kiss your grandma on the lips kind of kiss at all. We're given subtext that he fucks these pig. A hundred percent. And then the scene prior, <laughs> there's a scene where Marlon Brando is being a scientist just for a second, because lest you forget that that's why he's there. He's looking into a petri dish, and we see like some cells dividing, whatever. And then, and then he just says. Almost, he says, almost, almost a pig. Almost all the way there. (laughs) Give it more, what does he say? He says, uh, give it more, give it more medication or give it more hormones. And then that's the end of the scene. So we're to expect that he's just injecting medicine into a Petri dish of pig cells and saying, almost a pig, almost a pig. (laughs) The one scientific moment is absolutely bananas and then it's back to just like uh creatures in cages and being horrified by them almost Uh, a pig almost a pig well but then i guess you get to find out what almost a pig looks like seconds later true Uh, (laughs) so there we go uh speaking of creatures what did you think of the first david thewlis tries to escape on a boat scene oh um 
In what way? Like, what what are you specifically? So, uh, so David Thewlis tries to he like gets on a boat, tries to escape. There's one thing where like he they clearly fucked up the editing, and he like he's climbing something, screams as though he's falling while he's still climbing, oh, yeah. <laughs> and then he falls. Yeah, that's not what I mean. It's, it's like at that point. He's also then, like, surrounded and mocked by a bunch of what's basically slightly more anthropomorphic uh, Ratso Rizzo from uh, The Muppet yeah. Show. and are those, those are CGI. So they put a small, right? They looked... I, I they, probably... I guess it's hard to say. They looked pretty CGI. They're not all played by Nelson De La Rosa. That I can say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They, uh, they couldn't find enough tiny humans to play all of the rats, so... Uh, they had, but they also never return to those rats. No, yeah, they're, that's the weird thing. Just, they they just live on the boat. They are just little like, I mean, almost just full rat, right? They basically just look mm-hmm. like a an army of evil rat squirrels that like ha ha ha, uh-huh. ha cause a little mischief and then they're out of the scene. But they didn't have human faces. Ish, yeah. I guess. But they add nothing to the movie. They're they don't come back in the movie. Yeah, uh, those little guys are just out there getting after it. There's so many things. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. When Bar- Marlon Brando's describing why, the why of what he's doing on the island, he says that he found the devil in a Petri dish. And then his attempts at manipulating the genome is, like, to pick all of the positive qualities of other animals and eliminate all of the bad qualities of humanity. Just so, we, just so we're clear on the ethos happening here. Um, but they're also all, like, emotional qualities. Which is yeah. a wild take. Like, it's not like we're going to make humans be able to jump higher or run faster. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah. like, the, the things that we look to animals as, like, being better at us then. Uh, yeah, and it it's... seems to me that the thing that he, like, doesn't value in humans is their intrinsic violent nature. He doesn't want right, so let's... creatures to eat each other. Every animal-human hybrid is a vegetarian on this island. So, like, eating flesh is foreboden. And also, I think violence in general is frowned upon so like he's trying to breed out every bad violent quality we have by only mating human qualities with the qualities of panthers and yeah dogs. with like fucking aggressive <laughs> jungle carnivores uh yeah they do murder someone early uh the little like creepy tight-faced black leopard man early the, because the, he the eats boy. a rabbit and that's a crime yeah, and then he's summarily murdered by uh, the the dreadlocked one. Uh-huh. And Roland Brando's just like, ah, give him a good burial. And then they throw his body in a trash bag into the fire. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. There's also this, like, regular thing of the, the, like, Marlon Brando and his cohort of Ron Perlman acolytes uh-huh. uh, want to have the animals, the human animals, think of themselves as people. But he yeah. names one of them hyena. Yeah, like, I was wondering if I was mishearing that every single time, or if it no, was I in fact it, hyena. I watched it with subtitles, as I always do, so I can catch the great subtitle decisions, <laughs> uh, of which there are a few. Uh, but yeah, man, like, why? Why would you do that? Oh my god! There's another thing. Okay, so here's something that doesn't have to do so much with the movie itself, but does explain why everything seems so chaotic. So there was an animal behavior specialist 
that they employed to kind of help everyone get into character, which is already insane. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. okay. But... So it's Big Cat's energy so far. Um, they also insisted on dressing the animal behavior specialist in an animal costume. <laughs> no and way. And putting him in the scenes. No So in every scene way. that he is in, he's in a full baboon costume with an animatronic nose that prevented anyone from being able to understand the words that he was saying. So no one knew, and he would be wildly gesticulating and hopping around on set trying to tell people go this way or that or do this, and everyone would just stare at him because he was making monkey noises out of his giant rubber prosthesis face, and they would just continue doing whatever the fuck they already were. Oh my god, that's so good. This movie is just the Wild West of wow. film decisions. There is... is uh, yeah. It's a real yes ending. I appreciate Almost it. Almost no one seems like they were in charge. No, no, it sounds like absolute anarchy. But the anarchy does lead to some fun decisions. Yeah. Like, after Hyena leads a, uh, a rebellion of the animals... And, like, tear Marlon Brando limb from limb. You get this extended period of Val Kilmer doing an ex- an ongoing Marlon Brando impression. Yeah, uh, that scene's amazing. <laughs> the, that multiple scenes. Yeah, yeah. So, like, you begin with him. Like, David Thewlis isn't sure if Marlon Brando's, like, come back from the dead or some shit. Yeah. Because Val Kilmer's sitting at a screen reading the, uh, the Bible quote that Brando's obsessed with. Wearing the white face paint. With a fake gut made of towels. Oh, yeah, uh, with, like, the do-rag and the weird chin thing, and he's in full regalia. And it seems like he's doing that to fuck with David Thewlis, but then he goes down into the animal basement, and he's still yes. doing the impression, like, the whole time. Oh, yeah, uh, and it gets it more annoying. and more, like, uh, intense. He yeah. he starts just sort of talking a little bit like Marlon Brando, and by the end he's doing a full Brando, like sitting in a throne. He's got some kind of cigar that he's smoking. Is he being Godfather? I don't know, but he's smoking something, and then he's like bringing other animals close and kissing them on the forehead. It's a it's batshit. It's, it's really uh, funny. Yeah, it goes on for long enough that it passes from being kind of obnoxious into being great. Yeah. And it, it goes on so long uh, that when he eventually goes back to his regular voice, the closed captioning needs to clarify and does normal voice. <laughs> <laughs> and his normal voice sounds like Fel Kilmer, so he's like, hey, guy. Like... <laughs> Uh, also, Marlon Brando's like, choice of acting at times was to be like evil Santa Claus, because he oscillates between being Marlon Brando into being like deep face, deep voiced English actor oh, who yes. literally ends a scene with his like daughter Feruza Balk being like ho ho ho. He says ho ho ho. Does he? At one uh, point, when he makes her laugh, and he says, well, you wouldn't want to look like me, and she oh, laughs, yes. and he goes, oh, see, I made you smile. Oh, oh, oh. Huh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> he, Evil Santa. He's doing a bunch of interesting, like, I know that he's not, probably not intentionally doing impressions, but, like, he has really strong Anthony Hopkins voice and energy mm-hmm. in the first half of the movie. Mm-hmm. And then in the last scene, he, like, uh, right before he gets torn apart, he is 
unmis like undistinguishable uh, from Brian Cox. Yeah. Like he yeah, looks that's like, true. He does sounds really like, like Brian Cox. Mm-hmm. Just like, that's funny. I, he is. I don't know why. Yeah, there was a lot of weird shit happening behind the scenes before this movie began in terms of... So Marlon Brando's, he was taken away from set because his daughter died, like right before they started mm. filming. And mm, yeah. uh, that... He had, a, he had a rough 1995. He, yeah, I mean, he's he had some crazy qualities, but he also had so many like traumatic events happen to him at that period of time in the 90s. And right, because his son also went to prison for murder right yeah murdering someone basically in front of him and then like yes that and then the daughter committing suicide he had a really tragic 90s and so yeah his daughter had just died right before he started filming this so he wasn't even on set for like a ton of it which Hmm. created a lot of anarchy like as they were setting everything up in the first few days of shooting and then once he was there uh, he just ran the show and decided to do crazy rewrites. And then Val Kilmer took note and started doing the same thing. Apparently, there was a scene where Val Kilmer just sat on the ground and refused to stand up. <laughs> 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 no one could make him do it. It was like a kid holding his breath. Just, no. Um, Is that scene in the movie? The, I don't know which scene it was, but there is a scene that they could not convince him to do standing up. <laughs> so great so rad what a weird experience oh uh, yeah so and also um val kilmer found out what by watching it happen on tv that he was getting a divorce what <laughs> like they i think entertainment news announced his divorce before he knew about it and he found it out on set watching television filming this movie it was just like it does help you wrap your head around how these two human beings with egos that already don't fit through the door just became like full throttle unhinged on set what a disaster yeah, <laughs> yeah. wow and god the number of unsatisfying main character deaths in this movie. Mm-hmm. Where, like, Brando's kind of works. Like, the rebelling... Was, yeah. Uh, and human animals, just like Terram Lim from Lamb, uh, that one sort of works. The Val Kilmer one, you at least get him doing the Brando impression. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then telling uh, the dreadlocked one that he wants to go to dog heaven, and he gets <laughs> shot in the face. Yeah. And then you get Feruza Balk, who, like, gets mobbed and she starts, like, suddenly meowing and hissing and screeching and flying all over the place like Peter Pan. <laughs> which is like, oh, that's kind of an interesting thing to explore. And then they kill her off screen. Yeah, you just see her silhouette, right? It's like... Yeah. <laughs> uh, her shadow. And then it just goes, like, full Bayhem. Like... Yeah. This, like, grimy, chaotic energy that was, uh, a like, 10, 15 minutes of unwatchable movie yeah i chose that part of the movie to just look up a lot of facts about the movie (laughs) this is is just a fun aside but marlon brando i guess despite all of his creative control also did not enjoy the experience of making this movie and he compared it to trying to complete a crossword puzzle and then falling down an elevator shaft (laughs) (laughs) gotta hand it to him he's got away with words Uh, too bad he didn't have away with all the words though because this movie's bad yeah uh the so there are like I have two things to say about the end of the movie. Is are like close to the end of the movie? Yeah. Uh, do you have any uh, any shit from like but pre movie ending? No, 
No, I don't think so, because it's mostly just mayhem. Yeah, eventually the animals sort of kill each other, like a lot of the animals kill each other, and then it's kind of calm, and mm-hmm. David Thewlis gets a raft to go and, like, leave the island. Uh, Ron, Perlman, Ron Perlman waves goodbye, and uh, along with uh, Nelson De La Rosa, mm-hmm. uh, the, the tiny beat man. Yeah. One of the things that's a fun little Easter egg is that David Thewlis is bringing a huge basket full of coconuts onto his raft. <laughs> like, a, like a large sort of... Uh, waist-high wicker basket, just chock-a-block <laughs> full of coconuts. Uh, which I guess is like a decent water source. I don't know, it's like, it's just a funny decision. That's really funny. <clears throat> and then the last scene you get in the movie is David Thewlis doing this monologue about how humans are like animals. And it's interspersed with Footage. basically two things. One is the same shot of people fighting over and over. Mm-hmm. And also a rock concert. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Not even like a mosh pit, just people like rocking back and forth at a rock concert. <laughs> I I understand this movie was chaos, but that was a decision made by the director or an editor. And like, why? It just seems what? like, yeah, why? like a police riot or something that indicates like a clash with authority or like a, a will to always be fighting each other. Just a group of people staring in the same direction, listening to music. <laughs> And also, why not get more images? <clears throat> they obviously weren't trying to skimp on budget here. Yeah. They could have come up with a lot of other shit. Yeah, they repeated a lot of things a lot of the time in this movie. They did. It, it feels like they rushed it out the door, but I don't think that was the case. I think they spent a lot of time finishing up the production on this movie. Um, I would, I mean, yeah, I would hope so. <laughs> uh, are you ready for a couple facts about the making of this particular Abs- Absolutely, yes, please. Okay, poor Richard Stanley. Richard Stanley, who put his heart and soul into this terrible movie and then got promptly fired basically a week into filming it. Um, So they, like, wanted it to be a smooth transition, and the studio had already, like, picked out, like, John Frankenheimer was going to come in. They were going to ship Richard Stanley out. They gave him a ticket to L.A. He never shows up in LAX, and no one addresses it because there's so much other chaos going on that they just like up oh, slip through the cracks i guess he's taking a later flight i don't know he wasn't taking a later flight he was living in the jungle off of coconuts on a fruit plantation just living rough smoking weed and surviving off of coconuts for like a month what uh-huh but why i I don't know. And then I think he wanted to like take the movie down from the inside (laughs) because then the next thing he does is he starts showing up on set in a dog costume. What? He makes, he gets the props department because everyone's like, it's fucking chaos and it's just like, it's dogs leading horses at this point. And he (laughs) gets the props department to put him in makeup and he's wearing a full dog costume showing up along with all the extras in these scenes in the movie. So he's in a decent chunk of this movie. And then at the very end, he gets to do the big scene where everybody overthrows like Moreau's Island and they're lighting shit on fire. And that's when he reveals who he really was the whole time. Like after they wrap that scene, he's like mask comes off like, ha ha. Oh my god! I don't, I, what? But I, what? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, he didn't <laughs> stick it to the man, and like, I think his original plan was that maybe he was gonna like try to sabotage the movie, which would have made it so he didn't get any severance. But instead, he just did this. 
Um, huh. Apparently, later, Val Kilmer apologized to him, and Marlon Brando even offered to compensate him for his tr- t- his trouble, which was at least kind of a classy move, but he, he turned it down. Um, yeah, no, I dude, mean, he just lived Kilmer in the Kilmer feels like the one that really deserves some compensation. He put out a cigarette on his arm. Yeah, also, I, Kilmer's not off the hook, though, because in an interview that happened only a few months ago... He um <clears throat> he tried to kind of save Marlon Brando's reputation and threw Frankenheimer under the bus. Like the director was brought in to put out the fire. This is not his fault. And he goes, "Poor Frankenheimer was desperate for a comeback and froze up with Marlo's Marlon's gutsy improv style. Marlon was just trying to save a poorly constructed script. I got blamed for ruining the movie, even though I died two thirds of the way through. Not true. Nope. And the there film is just as bad when I'm not in it." Like, bitch, no one said that you sucked in the movie and that's why you were hard to work with. Also, nobody's talking about this anymore. Move on. <laughs> Dude, this, is, this is 25 years ago. It was March of 2021. This is such a recent interview. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, apparently not totally self-aware. He's, uh, he's not taking responsibility for who he was offset. He's just like, hey, I wasn't that bad in the movie. It's like, yeah. I guess it's true. That's it's fine. fine. You I mean, weren't. You weren't. No one said you were. You. We right. all just said that you were an asshole. Kil- Kilmer is having a rough go of it. So I imagine that whatever's coming out of him is uh, him exercising a variety of demons. Exactly. I think he's doing a little Hollywood retrospective in his current state. But um, but man, cigarettes out on the arm, refusing to sit, sit up and get off the ground. <laughs> There's a yeah, man that's... in a dog costume hiding amongst the extras. <laughs> what kind of a culture have you created on set, you guys? <laughs> <laughs> An um, animal, animal expert who nobody can hear. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and this so is the good. last one. But Marlon Brando did all those rewrites, right? So how yeah. could any person learn all their lines every single day when you're doing all those rewrites? Especially when you're Marlon Brando and you have a reputation right. for just not learning your lines. Yeah, you have to put it on the baby's diaper. Yeah, so he didn't. And instead he had an earpiece in and someone would yell, like, line line by line, feed him what he was supposed to be saying. But sometimes oh he would get, like, the frequency would get interrupted by a police frequency. <laughs> <laughs> so, so people recall hearing him saying funny shit, like yelling out them, and he would yell way louder than he needed to yell because he's earpiece and it's hard to hear right. things. And fuck it, he's Brando. But also, he's yelling crazy shit like, "There's been a robbery at Woolworths!" Like, <laughs> it's like Ron Burgundy, crazy, Jesus. crazy old man nonsense. <laughs> that like you can't write comedy like that. It's, I mean, oh you my can. God. You can, but it's based on true events. That's wild. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? That's so good. This movie, like, I feel like I could just watch an entire second movie about the experience of working on this movie. Yeah, I want a heart of darkness about this movie. Oh, for yeah. For sure. Yeah. Far more so than Apocalypse Now. Like, I want this. Yeah, right? Because this thing, it just seemed like... There wasn't a lot of there weren't a lot of ways to save it, but the ways that it went off the rails, surprising. You know, you don't yeah. think that someone's going to be living rogue on an island trying to sabotage the production team. But <laughs> so dope, God, yeah. it's such a bold move. So fucking it. rad. Uh, do you want some plot keywords and uh, some parents' guide? I want that the most. So, the first couple, not surprising. 
mutant, animal experimentation, chimera, genetics, rebellion. Nipples. Uh, what's that? Nipples. Uh, I, I think there is some nipples down here. Uh, you do have human becoming an animal and animal becoming a human. Mm-hmm. I don't know that that's accurate, but it's fine. Uh, law enforcement. Uh, Catwoman. Yep. Homosexual subtext? Huh. Yeah. Huh. I, do you? The only uh, homosexual subtext I was picking up on was just that throwaway line where they... Val Kilmer insinuates that one of the guys on the boat was. But that's gonna... that's that's homosexual text. But that's just yeah yeah yeah. There's no yeah, subtext. Text. Uh, ha, ha. Science runs amok. Uh huh. Evil man, good man. <laughs> anthropomorphic hyena, anthropomorphic bear, anthropomorphic bison, anthropomorphic fox, anthropomorphic sow. Okay. Psychotronic film. Huh. Not familiar with that term. Year 2010. Was this movie supposed to happen in the year 2010? I don't know how anybody would know that. I bet if they read the book, that probably would be why. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Probably. Uh, (laughs) Midget. Uh Flare gun. Period in title. Okay. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, Irish Wolfhound. Excuse me? Irish Wolfhound. Oh, okay. I guess there was Fat- a dog in this movie. Yeah. Fat Man. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, I mean, yeah, who knows? Softball it in there. Uh, goth. I mean, just because Feruza Balk's in it? Balk or because... Kind of yeah. <laughs> Off screen with golf pro- goth proclivities? Surprise ending? No. Nope. No. No. It, no. I mean, see the ending a wait, mile wait, wait. Did they the know about the dolphin ending first? <laughs> <laughs> and they they jumped the gun. Uh, and the final one, I obviously skipped a bunch. Uh, Moo Moo. Which is what the pig ladies are wearing. I. I. Yeah. Probably. Probably. Um. Uh. Interesting is... choice. It is one of just two titles with Moo as a plot <laughs> keyword. And the other is Todd in the Book of Pure Evil, the 2010 to 2012 TV show episode Monster Fat. Jesus Christ. IMDb, what are you? Yeah, this is, this is troubling. This is troubling. <laughs> oh, man. Hit me with that good, good parents guide, though. Yeah. All right. So... That was, I have to say, the least sexual uh, keyword. Yeah, it was like pretty tame. I mean, like, uh, there's not, there's a non-zero amount of sexy energy in this movie. You do watch Val Kilmer kiss a pig lady, like that doesn't even get an honorable mention. Nothing, nothing. Huh. The, yeah, the closest you get is like pay, is Catwoman, half man, half beast. It's this is a fairly straightforward, very tame, plot very keyword, very restrained. Yeah, I mean, you do have. Period and title, which is an, <laughs> which is somebody reaching, yeah. but it's not the same person that reaches for panties. No, you know, no, no. Uh, all right. So the plot keywords give you more of what you're looking for. Uh, sex and nudity mild, although only five of thirteen found this mild. The breasts of a few human female animals, being man-like, are visible, but more animal than human. 
while humanoid creatures are shown mounting each other like animals in heat. I'm going to need That's you to read a... the whole thing about the man nipple and the man breasts and the... Tell me the, again. Tell the, me again. All right. The breasts of a few female animals, uh-huh. parentheses, being man-like, what? end parentheses, are visible but are more animal than human, period. New sentence. While humanoid <laughs> creatures are shown mounting each other like animals in heat, which is not a full sentence, but fine. Yeah. Uh, under sex nudity, a manimal is shown being born pulled from its manimal mother. Is it a manimal when it's so small that it's a baby? I mean, I guess it's a human animal. It's, it's it a just... manimalette. I I feel like manimal is used to describe a big, strong guy with animal traits, not a little baby emerging from the womb. Uh, So, profanity, one F word only in director's cut. There's a director's cut. There's... (gasps) Oh, my God. How much longer do you think it is? I hate to disappoint you. It is is but four minutes longer. Oh, what? (laughs) And just slightly more violent. Uh, so the director realized there wasn't that much more you could stretch mm. out of this. Why they did a director's... Why did they do a director's cut of this movie? Why do a director's cut if Who you're adding four it? minutes and none of those four minutes contain a baseball scene? Or a fucking dolphin head. No. What are you doing? Why make these cut decisions if you're just going to do a four minute director's cut? We need a second half of this movie. Right? Uh, alcohol, drugs, and smoking. Only scientific drugs, but Val Kilmer's character uses them on himself. <laughs> uh, recreational scientific drugs and uh the last frightening and intense scenes i'm gonna read this exactly as written okay the violence can be seen as scary and one of the final scenes is scary because of suspense <laughs> and what you fear is going to happen <laughs> let me do that one again <laughs> the violence yes can be seen as scary mm-hmm. one would say and one of the final scenes is scary <laughs> Because of suspense and what you fear is going to happen. Just say it once. Just <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to say it four ways. See, for for me, the real beauty is the violence seen can be as. seen as scary. <laughs> seen as. <laughs> There's an alternate interpretation of every part of this movie, which is that it is in- exhilarating. what's the opposite of scary while still keeping the excitement levels up i'd say exhilarating yeah erotic might be erotic scary (laughs) movie is not exactly uh it just is sort of the opposite of scary uh I feel like that sentence was written by the same person that wrote Bizarrely Unique Voice with yes, an extreme nasal yes, tonality yes, spoken in mumbles. Yes, yes. Uh, like when you're really trying to hit that word count and uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> you're like grasping <laughs> at straws. You're double spacing, you're shrinking, you're extending the margins. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just trying to get that thing. <laughs> oh, oh, God. This movie fucking sucked, Michelle. It sucks so like, bad. Oh, man. It's okay, boring. yeah. boring. Yeah, it's Jesse boring. got so mad at me. Boring. He got so mad at me for doing it to you as well. So just know <laughs> that you have his deepest sympathies and that he um, never wants to have to talk about it or think about it again. <laughs> he let me Apparently know that he was very a... pleased that there was a nice solid buffer with that came between me watching the film and me spending time with him and that that time mm. involved me talking about it with a different person. <laughs> I, I'm happy to take that off of his plate. Yeah, it's still uh, on his plate, though, because I have stuff to say. <laughs> I'm the worst wait. person. 
Okay. Uh, (laughs) So there's a couple of fun things in the goofs page, too. Uh, One thing that's just like a standard goof, uh, boom mic visible. When when uh, Val Kilmer's putting the rabbits in the cage, I guess there's a boom mic visible. How would you ever know? There's so many furry creatures running around at all times. Right. Yeah, it could just, could could just be a, a furry man bird. Uh-huh. Uh, so the best here, though, is under factual errors. Uh, Michelle, just in case you were worried or curious, mm-hmm. Dr. Moreau did not invent Velcro. <laughs> <laughs> He didn't win a Nobel Prize for Velcro. <laughs> no. <laughs> IMDb, he's fictional. You didn't need that. It's not a factual <laughs> error. He's not a man. He's not a man in this world. Otherwise, unless <laughs> unless he is, and then I got I got stuff to say. <laughs> That's really funny. IMDb got yeah, Nobel Prize it for sucks, inventing Velcro. I will say, as much as this movie is disgusting and a very bad movie, just the extreme amount of terrible choices and the immense star power, kind of, it's a little captivating. Don't want to recommend people watch it, but like, I don't know, like... Would it be good with like a riff tracks or like would it be is there any way to like engage with this movie that would make it fun or palatable or like a good time? I, I think the like I think the body horror makes it tough. Like it's not cool body horror. Yeah, it's, it's really shiny gr- and really hairy and really horrifying. If you did like a Topher Grace cut of this movie <laughs> where you just get the silly parts and not like the hour of gross human animals just like running around bumping into each other like yeah i think this is kind of a watchable movie yeah but uh nah man i think this sucks <laughs> I don't yeah it watch sucks it. really bad it does oh god it really deserved all the shitty press that it got afterwards apparently um david david Thule didn't even go to the premiere and he said he w- vowed to never watch the movie <laughs> good for him <laughs> i know good for him yeah man. i agree no, don't watch the movie. Like, engage with it on this level. Let us describe the things to you. Look up, like, two Google images of what the creatures look like first, if you're feeling tempted, and then, like, experience what that is and how you react to that before you make any decisions. It's an hour and a half, but it's, yeah, a, it's, not it's a, a huge commitment. It's a hard hour and a half, to be honest. And I, <laughs> it's, for me, it's now three cumulative hours of engaging with the island of Dr. Moreau. It is... It's going to be the uh, last time. It's going to be the last time. <laughs> we'll see. I don't believe you. Uh, it is generously only $2 on Amazon. So it's not a big commitment. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, Michelle, if you were going to be a character in this movie, who would you be? Okay. So, it's got to be the little guy. Because... It has to be Nelson De La Rosa. Yeah, absolutely. Because, like, even though... He is just a sight to behold. Like, it's it's a rough, rough thing to look at. He gets fun little outfits. He's yeah. got a buddy relationship with Dr. Moreau that is bordering on adorable. And he gets it's a true. tiny piano. Like, his life seems good, other than the fact that he it has a terrible body that seems to have been turned inside out. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm with you on that. And he doesn't seem bothered by it. He is one of the only creatures that doesn't, if we're calling him a creature, kind of hard to say in the context of this movie, seems like one of the only 
entities that is pretty happy with their existence. Yeah, he seems like he makes that okay. Yeah. Are we picking the same character or... No, I'm going to go with Klingon Jesse Eisenberg. uh, Because he reads poetry. (laughs) Uh, I think he's alive at the end. Yes, I think so. And and he interacts with the fewest people. (laughs) (laughs) He just goes about his day. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this is a rough one, but I, I think, you know, yeah, no, can't recommend it. Can't recommend it. I can't recommend it, but I'm not sorry that we did it because it is one of the most iconically shitty movies of the nineties. It's worth at least talking about, if not watching yourself. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's garbage, but it's, it's interesting enough garbage. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, well, until next time, I I will be Henry. I'll be Michelle. Experiment and fast forward into the future of acting.